0: Are you trying to navigate through life as an adult with a disability? In this short series, you'll take away information and resources to become your own best advocate from the host, Donna Gore. Born with Cerebral Palsy... Donna has faced down many of the issues in her life, and with her expertise, she's ready to see that you have all you need to stay as informed as possible as you age with a disability of any sort. Greetings everyone, this is Lady Justice welcoming you to another live informational podcast and today I'm introducing a series, a related series on disability, specifically spastic cerebral palsy as that is the disability that I have had since birth and I think there's a real lack of information out there, particularly with this disability uh, for a number of reasons. And that's why I want to introduce this to my listening audience. So today what we'll do is we'll talk about um, a bit of an overview of the three or four podcasts that I'm going to do in terms of the topics and maybe introduce uh, the topic of cerebral palsy in general and why it's important to talk about it in the different types of cerebral palsy. So As as a means of introduction, um, a person that has this disability, uh, how they fare in life going from birth or if it's acquired later in life through adulthood would depend on many factors. It would depend on the time you are born, such as myself in the early 1950s versus later on, when they have um, more medical expertise and more, more advancements and technology. It would also depend upon um, your access to good health care insurance. So that would also depend upon the locality or ge- geography where you happen to live or the type of um, insurance you may have with a particular job or access to uh, government entitlements. It uh, would also, the quality of life with cerebral palsy would also um, really depend on the fact that ultimately it is not a one size fits all disability. Um, And therefore there's a lack of coordinated uh, treatment approach. And also it would depend upon the the individual's personal ability to find and piece together resources that, that fit that particular person. And just by way of information, in terms of data, I was under the impression that there was absolutely no studies for those with cerebral palsy, although I did find that as of September 2018, there is about 19% of the clinical um, interventions or the clinical studies that go on in medicine may have some relation to cerebral palsy. But a minuscule amount of clinical studies um, pertain to cerebral palsy uh, in adults, which only ended up being 4%, which is, is really a shame because there are many, many more people and i hearken back to a to a a story that i think of when i used to work as a speech language pathologist in uh, what they used to call a training school in connecticut Southbury training school and it was institutionalized care for those people with multiple disabilities and this particular gentleman Uh, was placed there in the 1920's and as we know in the 1920's if you had any type of disability typically it was hidden kept in the family Um, you were supposed to to shelter that person and and try to raise them the best you could but at that time in the 1920's even those people with with mild disabilities if there were no particular education or resources they were placed in this type of care. And this particular gentleman perhaps had a a slight head injury, I believe he fell off a truck and hit his head, and he was institutionalized in this this setting where they had cottages uh, for people with severe disabilities, be they physical, be they intellectual, be they behavioral, psychiatric, um, mental health, kind of all rolled into one. And after 50 years of living there and working on a huge farm, people decided to try to mainstream him into the community um, because, in fact, he was very high-functioning by today's standards, and he could well have lived in the community. And they placed him in a small group home, and lo and behold, he did terribly. He could not adjust. He was traumatized because all he had known for fifty years was, was working on this farm and ultimately they sent him back. And for many people who have my disability, they have many components to it. They may have intellectual, they may have physical, they may have speech and swallowing disorders, and they're not half as independent as as I as I am fortunate to be. And so they do end up in institutional care, although today we have many levels of care and and uh, where, where people can advance to their greatest um, level of ability. But that story just showcases the fact that when you were born in the 1920s, you ended up in institutional care, regardless of if you had a mild head injury or were severely impaired. And thank God with the progress today um, people with disabilities can live very um, active and healthy and thriving lives if they're given the opportunity, the resources, and the tools. So part of the, this series of podcasts is the fact that although we have advanced in some ways in terms of technology and, and bracing and access to therapies and good medical treatment, If you are aging and the aging process is placed on top of that developmental disability known as cerebral palsy, uh, and in order to uh, advance and age more gracefully, shall we say, if you don't have access to tools and resources and good health care, then you may not thrive in the way that somebody else would. Or you may live, you may live a very sedentary and poor quality of life, unfortunately. And as an adult who has treated people with many types of disabilities myself, and worked in many different types of job settings, and and had um, college and university training, I feel as if I have a duty to pass on some of this information that. Is not well documented so uh, I'll go into the definitions of cerebral palsy and then I'll give you an overview of some of the other types of podcasts that we'll get into in the um, in the next two or three series okay cerebral palsy occurs in 2.3 to 3.6 um, people out of every 1,000 children, that's based on one particular set of data. It's estimated that some 500,000 children and adults in the United States manifest one or more symptoms of cerebral palsy. And the spastic type, which I have is most common, making up 61% to to about 77% of all cerebral palsy cases. it's, there's no clear numbers for adults with cerebral palsy, but many adults can suffer from symptoms such such as stress on the joints and muscles, overuse with re- repetitive motions, and some even suffer from heart disease and pneumonia um, if people don't have a, a good, um, strong respiratory system coordinated with with their eating and swallowing they can in fact inhale food food particles um, and that can can cause uh swallowing problems and ultimately aspiration and some people can die as a result of that so it's it's more common to get pneumonia and heart disease with some cases who are involved very much so with with their breathing and eating and swallowing mechanisms and thankfully uh, I I do not have such involvement mine involves more so with hand-eye coordination in my lower extremities so to give a formal definition um, cerebral palsy includes and here are the formal names spastic a toxic, athetoid, and and a mixed. It's a group of disorders of the the development of movement and posture, causing activity limitations that are attributed to um, non-progressive, meaning it does not get worse, um, and uh, as it develops in the fetal or the infant brain. Uh, the motor disorders of cerebral palsy are often accompanied by disturbances of sensation, meaning different types of um, feeling, tactile touch, cognition, meaning thinking, communication, meaning um, understanding and talking, perception, meaning how your brain interprets things, and uh, and behavior as well as seizure disorder, which may be common. Uh, So, specifically spastic is an inability of the muscles to move in pairs. One one muscle may contract while the other relaxes and, and the muscles are always active, what they call high tone, which causes Causes them to be rigid, stiff, and cause jerky movements when some when someone is walking or, or moving, and um, and abnormal muscles uh, when they grow and uh, the the joints that hold the muscles and the bones together um, they're often deformed so that we have difficulty moving from one position to another, and sometimes people have difficulties. Holding on to things or letting go of objects. Um, and one main feature, and one that is particularly challenging for me, is that mobility or um, getting from one place to another, whether it be walking or you, um, is decreased in colder climates. And that's that's. Um, a common characteristic in at least 80% of those that have spastic cerebral palsy, the mobility is a lot more decreased if you live in colder climates. Another type that was just mentioned by the technical term, athetoid, that's characterized by involuntary, purposeless movements um, of the the, um, hands and arms and legs, and a person may look as if they're in pain, they grimace, they may thrust their tongue out, Um, they they may have difficulty maintaining their posture for sitting up um, um, and just for sitting without any uh, type of um, structured support. In fact, they may resemble Um, A floppy doll, like if you know the the doll Raggedy Ann where her extremities are kind of uh, floppy, that is the characteristic of this type of cerebral palsy. And again, other associated problems can be um, frequent seizures in the brain, can have um, intellectual impairments, um, can have speech problems, can have hearing problems, can have vision problems, and swallowing and eating problems. And um, those associated problems uh, within the athetoid group can be about 10% of all people with cerebral palsy. It's not as common as as uh, spastic, which tends to be somewhere between the high 60s to the 80, 80% in prevalence. Now the, the third one, the technical term is called ataxic. Okay, and that's characterized by the muscles, the opposite of being stiff and rigid. They're very low tone and, and poor uh, motor coordination. There's, there's poor balance and a person cannot uh, cannot perceive depth perception, perception about where they are in, in space. Um, walking is noted to be a very wide gait. In other words, their feet are are placed uh, far apart in order to maintain their balance. And they have a shakiness, uh, t- tremors, particularly when they, when they hold small objects. So this type of cerebral palsy is, uh, is the least prevalent and only about 5 to 10%. And then the mixed type is a combination of any or all of the above. You can have characteristics of the spastic, characteristics of the involuntary purposeless movements, the athetoid, or, or the, the ones with low muscle tone. So you can have a mixed type. So that's a little introduction to the types of CP, as well as some of the factors that contribute to us not getting proper treatment as we age. Now, before I close out this show, I wanted to give you an idea what may, coming, what may be coming up in the next podcast. The second podcast I'd like to do I've entitled, The Problems with Aging and Physical Disability Um, and those issues are many. Um, I'll get into uh, the difference between a disease and an illness, the fact that CP is not progressive and uh, various resources when you are first diagnosed with cerebral palsy and what resources there are today. Um, and I have to say I'm very shocked to see that there's there's not very many for people out there um, online when you go to search. And then uh, another podcast I'd like to do coming up will be the, the nuts and bolts, the actual piecing together of services. And it's almost like a jigsaw puzzle. Um, and even in my case, combined with the luxury of having very good health insurance, because I'm a state employee in Connecticut, it still is a full-time job to piece all of these entities together because every person with CP is different, almost like a fingerprint, and yet there is no one coordinated resource, no one-stop shopping at any particular medical entity where you can go to get the best care and that truly is a big big problem and then another podcast I'd like to do um, has to do with more resources which may be uh, which may include things for things that will help for those of us that live in in winter climates Um, and um, if you are living alone and you need um, people to know that you're living alone in case in case you're in need of assistance um, from other people, as well as, uh, as emergency management procedures and the lack of resources in some places for people with disabilities, um, particularly those that don't require institutional care and, and happen to be living alone and maybe don't have help. Um, and then another final podcast I'd like to do um our resources for accessing groceries accessing food many of us have a very difficult time particularly in the winter wet weather getting to and from grocery stores we may have dietary restrictions we may not have other people to help us and and the entire act of just going to a grocery store selecting things paying for them carrying them Putting things away is um, is very arduous. So there are some resources that may be able to help. Um, some of them are, are locally specific and some of them are regionally and, and some are national. So I'd like to go into those in future podcasts. So if you've been interested in this podcast, I hope that you will tune in again next time very soon. And um, please be sure to go to my website at Donagore.com where you can find out about a number of other issues um, there as well as my books, as well as my previous podcasts that I've done in interview format and a variety of other endeavors that I have. So it, it's been a pleasure to to have you listening. Please do pass this on and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.